It's a story that probably all of you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then you can follow along on the screen. Father God, we are here to worship because like this lawyer, in this passage, we desire eternal life. And not just an eternal life that's far off or in the future, but an eternal life that might begin already now. And so Jesus, give us ears to hear what you are saying through your spirit to us and to our hearts this morning. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. On one occasion, an expert in the law, a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6. And love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, The story that we are, many of us, familiar with. He said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Now a priest who happened to be going down the same road saw the man, And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, passed by him on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where this man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to the man and bandaged up his wounds. He poured oil and wine on him. Then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, the Samaritan took two denarii, two coins, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A retired man once told me a story about his son who was a lawyer. And I know we don't have any lawyers in our congregation in general, but lawyers know that they have a bad reputation, fairly or unfairly. And this man was telling me a story about his adult son who's a lawyer, and he said, for many years, my son's owed me money, and he continues to tell me on a regular basis, oh, don't worry, Dad, I'll pay you back. And he said, the more that he tells me he's going to pay me back, the more he believes it, and the less likely I think I am to get my money. The problem with only talking 
is that the more we talk, the more we believe ourselves and the less likely, often, we are to act. Now, the great thing about this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is that it reminds us that what we say does matter, but what we say needs to match what we do. What we say matters, especially in the context of what we do and why we do it. And the same thing is true of the 12-step program. Steps 8 through 12 that we're not really even addressing are really all about personal action, making a list of people that you've harmed, trying to make direct amends, except when doing that would cause more harm, doing a personal inventory, seeking God and depending on his power, and then experiencing the spiritual awakening that comes from seeing ourselves and acting out in obedience. What we say matters, and what we do matters. And somehow these things are supposed to fit together. In Luke chapter 10, this lawyer, Luke tells us, is trying to ask Jesus for a theological debate in order to make himself look good and in order to avoid, seemingly avoid, any kind of obedience. After all, that's pretty clear what Jesus is calling his disciples to do and what he's calling this man to do. Like all of us, this man asks and wants to know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him the answer, actually helps the man know the answer or or, or helps the man respond to his own question. The man knows the answer, and so he says, well, this is what's written in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yes, do this and you will live. Not just live in eternity, but live now. The man has his answer, has his question answered. And the answer on the one hand couldn't be more simple. It's right there in just a few sentences. And yet on the other hand, as all of us know, loving the Lord, loving our neighbor is a difficult and complicated affair, not because we don't understand how to do it, but because there are so many opportunities for us not to do it. And those opportunities are tempted, or tempting, excuse me. So how does this work? How do what we say and what we do fit together as a life of obedience to God? Well, we're going to say two things that Christianity isn't and then one thing that Christianity is. And we're going to see that what Christianity is, is all because of Jesus. So for starters, Christianity isn't about, isn't only about knowing what is right. Maybe Luke sets this up a little bit as as an obvious truth because he's inviting or, or pictures this lawyer coming to Jesus, a man who's a teacher of the law, who's a very smart man, probably seen as a wise man. But for centuries... Christians have recognized that our faith is about more than just what we know, what fits in our head. And so from the earliest days of Christianity, there was a heresy called Gnosticism, which comes from the Greek word for knowledge or knowing. And the Gnostics taught that they had secret and special knowledge that got them further up the rung to heaven, as it were. And the church 
then and throughout, uh, continuing throughout history has always said no. We don't need secret special knowledge. We don't need to become smarter people. We need to become holier people. We don't need to know more. We need to draw closer into relationship with Jesus. Christianity isn't just about knowing what is right. Maybe counterintuitive to this passage, which is all about who's being a neighbor and who's being good, or who's being a good neighbor, we also see that, or we also know that Christianity isn't just about doing what is right. After all, this story, which is about being a good neighbor and even ends with the words, go and do likewise, this story ends. And then the very next story that begins is the story of Mary and Martha, where Mary or Martha is busy working in the kitchen and Mary is simply sitting at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says to Martha that she should be more like Mary, not so busy doing, but devoted to Jesus. And actually, if you think about it, simply doing the right thing is not Christianity. That's what we have called legalism. Doing the right thing, making sure that we work really hard all the time to do the right thing at the right time. That's not Christianity, it's legalism. And one of the things that we celebrate as God's people is that we don't, that we we haven't done what is good, that what is right, and yet God loves us anyway. That our good actions don't outweigh our bad actions as if it were even possible to, to weigh up everything we do and balance one against another. We know that in practical experience with our neighbors. We know that being, or I know that being rude to my wife uh, isn't made up for by buying her ice cream. And I've tried. It doesn't work. And she really likes ice cream. But it doesn't balance out that way. And, and if we have a longer relationship with God, then we know from experience the same thing. That we can't just run away for a long time and ignore the Lord, be rude to him, tell him, yeah, I'll get to you later, and then try and pick it up and, and balance it out with a bunch of good things in a row. That's not Christianity. That's legalism, trying to do what is good in our own strength so that our Father approves of us. The joy of the gospel is that as Christians, we come with nothing to offer, and yet our Father loves us anyway. So what does that mean if we're trying to think about, well, what, is the, what do we have to believe or think? How are we supposed to act? Well, maybe it means this. If Christianity isn't about just knowing what's right, and if it isn't about just doing what's right, then perhaps Christianity is about wanting to do what is right. Let me explain that a little more. I think our faith is about, and this text, this picture, and even the culmination of the 12 steps, I think all of this comes together in embodying the love of God as we live in a broken world. Embodying the love of God as we live in a broken world. We do our best as followers of Jesus to embody the love that Jesus had and has for his Father. We see, uh, if you want some homework after the service today, you read through one of the Gospels 
and see just how often Jesus says in any of the Gospels that he came to do his Father's will, that what he wants to do is what his Father tells him to do, that he won't do something because his Father hasn't told him to do it. Jesus pictures for us what it means to want to do the right thing because what he, Jesus knows that what the right thing is is what his Father has told him to do. Likewise, embodying the love of God as we live in a broken world is not just doing what the law requires of us in terms of not offending our neighbors or not committing crimes against our neighbors. It's actually going beyond what the law requires. It's about, love is about seeking the flourishing and the well-being and the fullness of our neighbors. Justo Gonzalez, uh, in his commentary on Luke, says it this way. He says, loving your neighbor is not just a matter of loving and serving those who are near us, which is what neighbor means, but also about drawing near to those who, for whatever reason, racial, ethnic, theological, political, drawing near to those who might seem to be alien to us. Love always goes beyond what is required. See, we can, the, the danger when we read the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is, is that we walk away saying, well, now I know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and we leave it at that, that kind of Gnosticism. Well, I'm smarter now, so I'm, I'm better. Or the, da- the other danger is that we walk away saying, well, now I know exactly what I have to do. I have to go and find every single person I can and just do good for them. That's what I have to do. But when Jesus says to this expert in the law, go and do likewise, I want to suggest to you that what Jesus is calling this man to do is to model his life after the Samaritan who went out of his way to find, to heal, to help, and to restore this man who had been attacked by robbers. See, is, this, this is really where Jesus fits into the story and why Jesus can tell this story with integrity. Jesus gives this parable because Jesus is the one who did what he called the lawyer to do. Jesus is the one who went far out of his way to love his neighbor. Coming from heaven to earth is about as far out of Jesus' way as he could go. And yet he didn't do it because he had to, because some law required it of him. He did it out of his own fullness, out of a love, a deep love for humanity. And Jesus loved his father as we've already gone through. So if as Christians... We hear this word, go and do likewise. What are we to make of it? Well, I think to in, perhaps specifically for a moment go over the negatives again and then to close with a positive. I think the, the, what we're not to do goes something like this. As long as we see opportunities to love our neighbor as long as we see those things as a distraction 
from what we're supposed to do, as, as a danger or a barrier to what God has called us to do. As long as we see opportunities to love our neighbor that way, we won't inherit eternal life. That's not to say that we won't go to heaven because we're not good enough. But it's to say that eternal life with Jesus begins now. That God is calling us to enter life in the kingdom with him, which means that we live in obedience to the king. That we follow the model that the king has set for us. Not our own pride, not our own priorities. And so as long as our sort of inflated sense of ourselves pretends that, well, we're too important to be delayed for an hour on the side of the road helping somebody over here because I've got important things to do, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven or really taste that eternal life. But when we set ourselves aside... When we set aside our own priorities, our own pride, and when we look to that perfect example of Jesus, who loved his Father with his whole heart and mind and strength, and submitted his, his life to the Father unto death, and when we follow the perfect example of Jesus who loved his neighbor in exactly the same way, who didn't just stick with those who, was near, who were near to him, but went out of his way to seek the lost, to be close to those who society pushed to the edges and outside of the boundaries of society. When we follow Jesus, then clearly we do begin to taste eternal life. And that's why in a moment we're going to celebrate communion and I'm going to grab one of these little things. That's why when we celebrate communion, we're not really tasting the wafer. We're not really tasting the juice. We're tasting resurrection life. We're tasting eternal life with Jesus. That's what we celebrate. That's what we rejoice about when we gather together to partake in the sacrament. And so in just a moment, we're going to do that. I've got mine. You've, those of you gathered here have yours. And uh, those of you at home, we're going to pray. And so I'll give you a moment to gather your things as well. But in a moment, we're going to do that. We're going to come to the Lord and celebrate that he, through his Holy Spirit, welcomes us into his presence and gives us a taste of eternal life already now on earth. So please join me in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for your great love that welcomes us into your family. Thank you for your great love that rescues us as we were dying and dead on the side of the road. God, we celebrate your love that frees us from sin, that frees us from all other sources of pride, whether it's pride in ourselves and our accomplishments, or pride in any of the other things that divide us, pride in our ethnicity, in our race, in our theology, in our politics. 
God, you've freed us to be a community and a community joined together by your work accomplished for us and your love which flows through us. And so, Jesus, as we call you king once again this morning, as we imperfectly turn over control of our lives to you once again, we celebrate the eternal life that you give us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.